Welcome back to the Brexit Brits Abroad podcast. I'm Dr. Mikla Benson, a reader in sociology at Goldsmiths University of London and the research lead for a UK and a Changing Europe funded project that's all about what Brexit means for British citizens living in the EU 27. Today I'm talking with Debbie Williams, who is, I guess, the lead of Brexpat's Hear Our Voice. I suppose I'm the founder, the founder of Brexpat's Hear Our Voice. And we're a collective, so we all share. <laughs> and can you tell me a little bit about, okay, that how you got to the stage of founding Brexpat's Hear Our Voice? What is it? What do you do? Oh, okay. So the founding bit was... Um, a reaction to the results of the referendum in 2016 and I set the group up on Facebook the day after and actually it was called Brexpat's Concerns and Worries. <laughs> and Seems apt. <laughs> yeah, a couple of weeks leading up to the referendum, obviously I, I, you know, I was living in um, Belgium at the time, so I was very well aware of what it was like to be an EU citizen, but I wasn't quite sure about all the implications on us if it was a vote for leave. As it transpired, it was. So hence I thought, well, I'd better find out what's going on and how it will affect us. Uh, and that's basically how we started. So it's just a little Facebook group and friends and friends of friends joined. You know, lots of people came and and went. The name Brexpats I'd never heard before, apparently had been used in the past, but it just came to me, I thought Brexit and expats. And then that leads me on to the word expats. At the time, I didn't realise it had such a negative connotation. Anyway, we're stuck with it for the moment, but maybe we'll come on to that later. But that's how, that's how it started. After a conversation with a couple of friends, we thought, well, we've got to find out what's going on and if we can have any input in the future negotiations. So that's how it started. I, I mean, obviously, in the interim, so what are we now, three and a half years since the referendum, it's changed into something else a little bit, hasn't it? Because it's kind of grown and developed. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not an overly large group. I mean, per se, on, on Facebook, you know, we've only got two and, a, two and a half thousand members. And then we've got a page and a Twitter account and, you know, and the usual, on the website, the usual stuff and we kept the group small to be honest because we were all joined loads of, of other groups and some were incredibly large like 50,000 people and it was impossible to keep track so we thought well if we want to be action focused and we want to have sensible conversations then to be honest we can't be too large you know with people sharing the same posts that you see in other groups so we kept it reasonably small and focused we hope and think our members like the interaction the sorts of interactions that we have. And some of the other groups are country-focused, but I don't think Brexpats is country-focused. No, no. Because um, me, I've used freedom of movement quite a lot. So after Belgium, we moved to um, the Netherlands and Germany and then back to the Netherlands. So it was very difficult to, to say, oh, I'm in Belgium, I'm going to set up a, a, a Belgian group. So I thought well, it sort of reflects our lifestyle, really. So Brexpats became a, a group for... Anyone, I mean, regardless of where you live, you don't have to be in the EU. We do have members that live in the rest of the world. So, and it's both for British citizens living in the EU and EU citizens living in the UK. Anybody's welcome. So, yes, not country focused, it's EU wide, I would say. Which, I, I mean, obviously, as you said, that completely reflects the fact that over the last three and a half years, you've lived in three, four different countries. Yeah, four. <laughs> yeah, four since, 20, 20, since 2012. I think, 
to okay. be clear. 2012, we lived in four different countries. And so, yeah, difficult to be country specific. <laughs> I suppose it's a story, really. Your family is a story of the success of European integration because this is exactly what European integration was supposed to do. Absolutely. Uh, and there are many people like us, our family. And uh, so it's not... It, it's difficult to explain. I wrote a little piece, an analogy last week, and that went down very well, using Wales and England as an example, saying that, you know, Wales had voted to leave England and the UK and the scenario that we find ourselves in now, using that as an analogy. And um, because it's as easy to move to Belgium and Germany and the Netherlands and Spain as it is to move from Cardiff to London. As an example, I mean, obviously there are there are certain things that you have to do that you don't have to do from Cardiff to London, but it's almost as easy as that these days. It's um, such a shame that um, people have voted to take that away from themselves and others. Uh, I, I find it quite incomprehensible. When you set up the group, you said it was kind of Brexpat's kind of concerns and issues. What were your fears at that time? Well, we just wanted questions answered because, first of all, we had the referendum result and then the Prime Minister, David Cameron, resigned immediately. And we just thought, well, you know, what's going to happen to us? So the first thing we did was we, we wrote a letter listing what we thought were the concerns. And actually that letter is probably more or less reflects the citizens' right to uh, agreement, um, withdrawal agreement. Now, missing one or two things, but we, we did go into some detail and that got us our first immediate traction really so it was a group effort the letter you know some great people gave us input um, and that got read out in the house of lords the week after the referendum so that's how it started for us really it was um our first uh, public outing if you like and um yeah we went on from there really why do you think it's important that the rights of UK nationals who live in the EU27 are part of that conversation about Brexit? Because we are still British citizens and, you know, it's very important that we are allowed to live our lives exactly as we did before because we moved in good faith and we've exercised, most of us have exercised our treaty rights legally. So to change the goalposts after people have made a commitment jobs, family, you know, uh, to their lives. It, it, it's, it's, not, it's not fair. That was the driving force, really. And equally for EU citizens in the UK and for future generations, we feel that we needed to speak up and defend those rights. And that's kind of the, the second part of your title, isn't it? The Hear Our Voice is actually about amplifying those voices. Yeah, yeah so to me, that's the most important part of the title. And... Um, I really feel that we're not being heard still, if I'm really honest. Now, yes, there's little bits and pieces that we're doing, and as, as we've spoken many times, we're still not there yet. We still need to amplify our voices, and we need to make our government listen to us properly and know who we are and what we're about, and that we're just ordinary people going about our daily lives just somewhere else, not in the UK. <laughs> and did you ever imagine three and a half years ago that you would be where you are now having, in terms of the the attention that you've managed to draw to the case, along with, with other people in your collective and, and other campaigners, but also that you'd still have to be engaged in this project of amplification. 
No, I didn't think we'd still be here in limbo, working our socks off, all of us as volunteers. But there is, I know, some sort of, I feel some sort of responsibility now. But I've started this, I want to finish it, and I want to do right by the people that I I feel like um, I represent in a way, I suppose. And uh, we've got a lot of work still to do, and it's just constant, it's absolute constant, it's something all the time, not just me, everybody that I know that campaigns, um, they're incredible, some of these people, absolutely incredible, so this shared knowledge is, is a wonderful thing. And, you know, obviously you started out on this with all of the kind of the best intentions of doing, of really amplifying those voices, but I guess you had no idea where the path would go in lots of ways, so what's that been like? always be the roller coaster it's been absolutely it's been a great learning curve if you want to take away the actual human cost of brexit out of this personally you know there have been some big challenges i've learned an awful lot and i have met some incredible people i mean absolutely you know incredible people that will become lifelong friends so those are the positives of this journey and you're never too old to learn new things I mean, who thought I would be doing Twitter and creating memes and all that sort of thing, oh, um, making videos, um, all that, um, speaking in public, writing articles, all those things. I mean, they have been sometimes incredibly stressful. And there have been times when I've nearly lost my mind, as we all have, because it's been too much work and too few people to share the workload, in all honesty. But... That part of the journey, I suppose, has been been quite educational. So it's a kind of a combination of, of learning lots of new skills, of meeting lots of new people and learning mm-hmm. from them as well and sharing with them. But at yeah. the same time, the political urgency of the situation makes it incredibly difficult and stressful to manage. And there's always new things coming at you, I suppose. Yes, and as well, it's difficult to know who to trust in the political world. I don't mean within our own little core groups that we work with, but in the political world, um, it's finding your feet. I mean, you've never been involved in politics in any shape or form except, you know, voting. So to meet people, you know, members of parliament and uh, people from the EU and and, and officials and people um, in high positions, it's been quite interesting and it's been quite interesting learning how to trust and how the system works um, and who to trust. Uh, I'm still learning that one. Still, get, still not there yet. <laughs> People tell you one thing and then they do something else. Mm. So you kind of briefly mentioned that you had not really been involved in politics other than voting previously. And I was going to yeah. ask, you know, how does this sit in relation to your previous experiences, to previous work that you've done? Because it is really interesting that through Brexit, people have kind of come to politics and kind of mobilised around political issues mm-hmm. in ways mm-hmm. that they may never have done before. No, I mean, it's absolutely intriguing. I mean, I'll be quite honest here on this podcast. I mean, coming from Wales where everybody, you know, put a red rosette on a donkey and people will vote Labour. Well, I mean, I moved from Wales when I was 18 and my first vote was in, in England when I lived in England. And I never voted Labour. I've always been a lifelong Conservative voter. And after the referendum and we had the um, the snap general election, I said I would never vote Conservative again. And I didn't. 
and I won't, <laughs> and, and, unless things change drastically. So politically, apart from voting, and um, because we owned our own business and things like that, and the Conservative Party were the um, party of business, it made sense for us at the time to vote. But I was never involved. I was in the Air Force in the 80s, so the miners' strike and the um, was it the poll tax rights? I think were in the in the 80s. That passed me by, unfortunately, because you, in the Air Force you wouldn't be really politically active or anything like that. And then I left and went to work for the Civil Aviation Authority, National Air Traffic Services, has in air traffic control, and it never really got involved in politics there. And then we left in 1999 to go to Germany to live in Germany when my daughter was small. And so, yeah, politics were never on the... I mean, I always read the papers and took a little bit of an interest. But, no, never, ever been involved in anything like this. The only thing is, you know, you have transferable skills, like, you know, giving presentations in work and writing presentations and and speaking, you know, in an office environment to a group of people, but nothing like this. So how do you explain it? I don't know. I think it's... I probably years of frustration, actually, that it was sitting there in the background thinking, I, I need to do something about all this inequality in the, in, that's going on in the world. And being a migrant myself, I've never come across some of the, some of the stories I've heard that have happened to um, other migrants, you know, where they're told to go home and things like that. But politically, yeah, I think I'm passionate about the cause. I don't like, I feel like it's an injustice to remove rights from people without their consent. And I think that's fundamentally what it boils down to. And that's, you know, and it affects me and my family personally. I think those issues together make for this passion, I suppose. And it's kept you going for three and a half years. So (laughs) (laughs) it's obviously really like lit that fire in some respects, so. Yeah, where do I go next? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, one of the interesting things, I think there are some differences between Brexpats, Hear Our Voice and some of the other groups um, in terms of its focus. And I wondered, and I'm particularly interested in your relationship with In Limbo, which of course is this um, this set of testimonies. Um, first of all, from EU citizens in the UK, and then this set of testimonies from British citizens who live in the EU. How did you, how did you get involved with that? And why do you think these human faces of Brexit are important? I think I think with all the talk, first of all, with all the talk about trade and, I mean, you know, Northern Ireland's very important, I know that, and I just felt like human beings have never been prioritised and in, in this whole, I call it, catastrophe that's going on at the moment. And I was always very, very aware that I wanted Brexit to be a, a group where all EU citizens could join in, and not just British citizens. Mm. And I think it's Sam. And then I met Anne Law from the Three Million at uh, Exton, the EU committee hearing, and we got on very well, and Nicholas Hatton, and we, we spoke often. And then, you know, I became... They let me know how, what it was like, uh, what their situation was like. And I became more aware of how difficult it was for EU citizens in the UK as well, and that we shared the same stories, really. So that was that. And then Elena Remigi, the founder of In Limbo, who had the original concept and produced the first book, In Limbo, Brexit Testimonies from EU Citizens in the UK, approached me and uh, asked if we would like to, or approached us and asked if we would like to collaborate 
on the sequel of the sequel, the sister book, I think that's probably better to say, because the two sides are the same coin. So, and we, and we were delighted, absolutely delighted and honoured to be asked. And um, so the two books are out there. And they, I find they're incredibly hard and sad and an emotional read. Even the angry ones, because <laughs> mine's quite angry, mine's in there. I mean, it's, a, it's all, you know, the reflection, it's, it's all terribly, terribly sad that people have been put in this position. And I really wish every single politician or everybody involved in this, I mean, the, the, book has, the books have gone out to lots and lots of politicians, but I hope they read them and people in the media, because these are real people and real voices, and that's what people need to hear, not what the government wants you to hear. These are the real voices, and they're a historic record, not just of these times, but of migration in general. So, yeah, very honoured and, and delighted to be part of that collaboration. I mean, it really, really is a pan-European collaboration at its best. This is what the EU is all about, you know, making these bonds and, and working together. And I think that project, that's why I'm so proud of it as well, that project, the Inland Book Project, reflects that. It really does. So it kind of reflects more the relationship between Britain and Europe and how interconnected your lives have been rather than Absolutely. separating you out into these two populations that could be dealt with, could be pitted against one another almost, I suppose. Absolutely. My friend Veronique, um, co-editor of In Limbo, she always says, and she's French, she's, I could say it in French, but I won't bother. She always says, all for one and one for all, you know, and, and that's how we are as a project, definitely very much together. And, we, you know, it doesn't matter where we're from, we're all affected in the same way. And I mean, beyond the problems that Brexit has presented for EU citizens in the UK and for British citizens living in the EU and the work that you've done for Brexpat, has this changed you in some kind of way? I mean, you already talked about how it changed your politics in, in some respects and how you never vote for the Conservatives again. I mean, this is going to change you forever, right? I mean, this is my... Yeah, there's no going back now. <laughs> Well, I've become more intolerant <laughs> and stressed. Yeah, it has changed me. It definitely has changed the way I look at the world, not just in Europe, the way I look at the world. And, and it's opened my eyes to so many, so many of the other issues that are going on in the world. I mean, you know, from climate change to the refugee crisis to all, all sorts of things, LGBTQ plus rights and all these and the vulnerable groups I mean some of the things I've heard and have read and been told this last three and a half years within encompass all this because these are all things that are relative and relevant in a way to Brexit some of these stories are quite hard to hear and I can't ever forget them so I think the challenge there is will I be able to carry on speaking up for people and will Brexpats be able to do that in the future maybe under a different name in a different format is there a place for that do people want it we're just just people talking and trying to do trying to do the right thing I, I think so so it has changed me yes I'm much more aware socially aware maybe you could say I have developed a social conscience <laughs> no I did have one before but I would definitely um more aware, more alert to um, inequalities that are going on in life. 
So that's a, it's not a positive outcome of Brexit, it's a positive outcome of your reactions to Brexit and what Brexit mm-hmm. made you realise, I suppose. And, and see. <laughs> and see, yes, yeah. Um, I mean, we've talked before about how this had all of those kind of sets of rights and things. It's really easy, I think, quite often to reduce what's happening to EU citizens in the UK and British citizens in the EU to some kind of exceptional circumstance. Um, and, and, you know, you said yourself, you know, this is the removal of rights. It's not fair. But I think also that your understanding of that is located within a broader frame of realising that this is happening in various places to various other people as well. And it isn't just these citizens whose rights are being changed. Mm-hmm. With regard to Brexit, you mean the citizens living in the rest of the world? Um, I was or thinking... Just in general? Just in general, I was thinking. Yeah, well, we've... I mean, we've talked before, but I mean, I hate to say, pack the word categories, but there, there are vulnerable groups or people in need within our own community as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, that need looking after. And, and I, I don't know, you can't liken, I would never liken this to the civil rights movement or the suffragettes or those sorts of groups of people. But, you know, the removal of rights, I mean, it's unacceptable in the 21st century in a Western civilised society, suppose, supposedly civilised society. I mean, you know, there's got to be some sort of consensus and, and discussion with the people that are concerned and affected by the loss of these rights. I can't speak for other groups because I haven't got the experience, but we know all the groups that we're concerned about, like the homeless and the children. I mean, nobody, apart from a few exceptional groups and research projects like yours, who speaks about the children caught up in this, you know, with their lives? It's those sort of groups of people that worry me the most. And of course, I mean, we talked earlier about the illegals, of course. I mean, and they're here as well, and they mustn't be forgotten. I mean, somebody's got to take responsibility for all this and start engaging properly with the people that know how it's going to work on the ground. That's what needs to be done. And we're saying that three and a half years after the referendum. And you've been saying it consistently since the referendum. Yeah, not just me, all the, all the other um, yeah. citizens' rights groups, yeah. And what are you so? What are you personally going to do um, about your future rights? You're in Spain, so you're not in a position to apply for dual nationality, for example, which I know is not the route that anyone is actually actively advocating, but it certainly is something that people are doing in lots of different uh, in lots of different countries, lots of British people where they can applying for dual citizenship. So, what's your what's your plan for the future? I guess I mean I suppose it's tied up with where you're going to be. As well, which well, I guess is Spain, not certain. Spain is home now, but I mean, and it's our permanent base. But we go where the work is. So, if freedom of movement is what we based our livelihoods and lives on, um, with my husband's job, he needs to move freely within the EU. So, who knows? But we are permanently here. But we haven't been here for five years, so we don't have permanent residency. But we've put in place everything that we can do. Um, so we've changed our driving licences, we've got our residencia and um, we've done everything that we need to, to be legally resident in Spain. I mean, I could apply under the grandparents' rule for Irish citizenship, but I find that it's a, such a personal thing. I don't really want to do it. I mean, on this basis, um, on the basis of Brexit, 
Um, but it is an option, uh, thanks to my grandfather, God rest his soul. So it is an option for me, but that doesn't help my daughter and my husband. So I don't know. Who knows is the answer, but we will find out very soon. I'm determined. Oh, dear. Um, okay, so two, three and a half years in limbo, three and a half years working relentlessly to try and draw attention to the plight of British citizens living in Europe and EU nationals living in the UK. And we've got a general election coming up, which I think that you're able to vote in because you, you haven't been away too long yet. No, not yet. Not yet. I've still got another eight years left. Um, so I will be voting. I'd encourage everybody to check the registered and to do a proxy vote yeah. rather than a postal vote. Um, but there is one another, one good thing, I suppose, out of all this, and um, Brexit and whatever, is that I think for the first time we actually have a proper community, a British community living overseas. I can feel it, I can sense it, and that's really good because I don't think people were in touch before much apart from the odd Chamber of Commerce meeting or, you know, an event in, I don't know, your local beer hall or whatever. I think we do have a community now, which is great, and I don't think we're going away. Well, I think that's a really uh, good point to end on. So thank you very much, Debbie. You're welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to the Brexit Brits Abroad podcast with me, Dr. Mikola Benson. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so by searching for Brexit Brits Abroad on iTunes and Libsyn. And to join in the conversation, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at BrexPatsEU and you can visit our Facebook page, Brexit Brits Abroad. To find out more about the project, visit our brand new website. That's BrexitBritsAbroad.org. And I'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode.